What are the chances in Dallas where I live, the elementary school that we live across from all of my kids go to school is filled with kids from Burma? Amazing. So we have a special heart. I coach, I coach soccer. I coach a kid from Burma. So I love your nation. I love you. You're amazing. So true what you said. The Spirit of God came over you. And it just, you just shine so beautifully through you. I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter who you are, your personality, like Andy shared this morning. When you speak the word of God, God's word in your mouth is like God's word in his mouth. It's powerful. So bless you. Amen. Y'all, <clears throat> this place is awesome. I hope you know. I hope you know how blessed you are to be here in this season, set apart. Um, I've just been drinking it in. I'm a learner, so when I come to a place, I like to come and listen and learn and get to know. I went to dinner with some of the leaders last night, and they were like, I was asking them all the questions, you know, and, and um, I'm just, I, I am personally humbled um, to be here um, among the presence of just such incredible men and women of God. Um, and, and I don't know, I just, I, I want to, I want to encourage you though. You may not have the capacity to realize many of you, 18, 19, 20 year old, 20 years old. You're like, yeah, this is normal. This is not normal. This is supernatural. The teaching that Andy gave this morning was like dripping with oil. Like, I hope you're not like, okay, we're doing training. Like it, what he shared this morning was so beautiful so rich like if we apply that i love what he said if we apply that it will be more supernatural than seeing legs grow out in the dead race like if we become a company of people whose tongues have been refined and touched by god speaking life and blessing oh man and you get an opportunity here to practice it for the next three months and beyond on the mission field. You get to actually practice speaking life. Um, and I love what he said too. I was, I was kind of laughing when he shared about himself, uh, about loving an introvert, shy. Um, I'm very similar. Um, in fact, when I first got married, uh, my wife asked me um, what my love language was. And to be honest, I had never read the five love languages book. There's a book by the way. And I had never read it, so I didn't know the love language. And so she just asked me, what's your love language? And I said, oh, I said, being alone. <laughs> Guys, look at me. Don't ever say that to your spouse. It's unwise. Um, that's not a love language. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I shared that because I do. I'm like, Andy, I like if I'm alone in the woods or I'm alone on a mountain or on a, wherever. If I'm alone anywhere, I like that because I just, I enjoy that. However... Um, when I was, uh, when God was preparing me to do this um, and, to, and to live my life for him, he put me on a public transport in Dallas. I was working downtown Dallas and uh, I would have identified myself as shy, introverted, like I'm not the guy that stands up in a restaurant and bold, you know, preaching. Um, I just, I, I'm a thinker. I, I'm a deep thinker. I like to ponder things. Um, and I remember I got on the train and I was holding the, the little, the rail and everyone was sitting like this on the train and God spoke to me and he says, speak, he says, tell the people I love them. And I was like, that's not God. 
<laughs> Y'all ever done that? <laughs> you hear the voice so clear and you're like, no, that's not God. Because you have a framework of how God speaks, right? And, and so that was like on a Friday. And I went to this prophetic conference on a Saturday. This prophet from Scotland was uh, doing a seminar on how to hear the voice of God. <laughs> Y'all, this is so savage. He's like, who wants to hear the voice of God? And we're all like, yeah. And um, he says, oh, I'll tell you, it's easy. It's always the first voice you hear. Wow. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> he says, then the second voice you hear is your own questioning whether or not you heard the voice of God. I was like, oh, that happened. And he goes, then the third voice you hear is the enemy trying to convince you that you're right. And I was like, dang. And the Lord was like, I did. I told you to speak on that train. And I was like, wow. So come Monday morning, I knew when I got on the train, I was going to have to speak to people that I didn't know and tell them that God loved them, which was terrifying to me. So I wake up that morning, I'm in the shower and I'm like, God, I bring myself to him. So I'm trying to give you guys some practicals on the pit. If you are, if you have a personality uh, that, that seemingly contradicts something that God's asking you to do, what do you do? Get real. Number one, don't pretend. I love what Andy said. Like, don't fake it till you make it. Just be real. God, I said, I need your help. I said, because I don't, this is not me. And I said, give me a verse. Give me anything. And I just heard a whisper in my heart. Proverbs 28, 1. And I went and I looked it up and it says, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I was like, wow. And he asked me a question. He goes, when you get on that train and you stand up to speak and tell the people that I love them, who's chasing you? Wow. Why would you run? Why would you run from that moment? Why would you, what would cause you to shrink back? And he said, if you saw yourself rightly, you would know that they're the ones that should be afraid of you because the righteous are as bold as a lion. Wow. Now, I would like to tell you that in a moment I had like a transfiguration experience and became bold like a lion. That's not true. But you know what I had? I had a verse and I had a promise from the word of God. And I, and I knew somehow that God had called me righteous as a son. And that if I took a baby step of faith on that truth, something would happen. So I get on the train that morning. My, my adrenaline my adrenaline was flowing before I even got on the train. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you this morning when Andy asked y'all to preach the sermon, did y'all feel that? You were like, oh my gosh, I've got to tell these people. <laughs> and you feel it. And, and I feel it and I get on the train and I grab the little rail just so I wouldn't fall over and pass out. I could feel my face turning red because I was so nervous to share with these people. And I go, excuse me. And it's a captive audience. We're now going in a tube downtown Dallas. And everyone looks, every eye, everyone had their papers, iPods. This was back in iPod days. And they all look up at me like thinking, is there a terrorist on this train? What? And I, and I, and I was like, oh no. And I'm, y'all, I'm trembling at this point. I do not feel like a lion. I do not feel bold, but I'm stepping out on the word of God. And I took a little baby step and I, and I preached the worst one minute sermon of my life. I fumbled through the words. I was like, God loves you. And like my voice was trembling. And then I was like, I was so nervous and kind of even ashamed that the, the next stop came. It wasn't my stop. And I was like, 
Alright, and I just left. I got off the train. I was like, I have to get out of that train. And, um, but a lady came out and she's like, you have no idea. She goes, I needed to hear that today. Wow. Wow. And, and you think, well, was it for that lady? And I think, yes, maybe it was for that lady. But it was also for me and God training me. He was delivering me of the fear of man. Yeah. Yeah. We read yesterday, if you're going to be a servant of God, you cannot fear man. And so, again, that's one of the practical ways. And so then months later, I would, God would have me do different things. And um, again, on this Proverbs 28, one word. And so much so that about six months later, someone in our church came to me and they said, you know what? They're like, when I see you, I see a lion of God. And I was like, wow. And, and you're like, what happened? What happened from shy, introverted Peter to someone on the outside looking at me saying, you, your boldness inspires me. You're a lion. Some of you may have felt my boldness like yesterday. You may feel like, wow, he's bold. Do you know why? Because the righteous are as bold as a lion. And this has been years of Proverbs 28.1 of me stepping through fear, stepping through my personality saying, hey, that's not you. You shouldn't do that. And walking until the grace of God has transformed me into something that I wasn't previously. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. Um, today, we're going to hop in. If you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 7 through 10 is a portal. Can I just be weird and swirly? <laughs> If you've never taken a chunk of scripture that's very, very deep, like Hebrews said, all of it's deep, but some of it's, some of it is, well, it's all deep. Um, but there's some sections that take longer to really understand. So for those of you who are maybe new to Bible study, maybe you didn't grow up studying the Bible a lot. I want to encourage you. One of the practices I've employed over the last, I don't know, 15 years is God will highlight a section of scripture to me. And I will spend maybe a month repeating that section again and again and again and again and again. And what happens when you do that, you read it for the first time, you're like, okay. You read it for the second time, you get maybe another nugget. But the more you read it, something happens. I can't describe it. It's almost as if God builds like a lattice in your heart to understand the things of heaven. You remember when Jesus told, um, I think it was uh, Nicodemus in the crowd, he goes, how can you understand heavenly things if I, if I speak to you of earthly things and you don't understand? You guys hear what I'm saying? Yeah. So our minds, the more our minds get renewed to the word of God, the more you can understand the deeper things of God. And, and for me, one of the most practical ways that's happened is when I take a section of scripture that God breathes on, that I'm feeding on, that I'm getting life from. And I just stay with it. Again, 7, 8, 9, and 10. 7, 8, 9, and 10. Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10. They, these, those chapters are so rich, particularly in understanding the priesthood of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus as a high priest. Um, understanding the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, not, I don't know. Is there anyone in here of Jewish background? You grew up Jewish. Amazing. So praise God. Look at that. You all need to... Hang out with them. This is Jew and Gentile. Yeah, praise God. So biblically, you have two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Biblically. 
the more you understand the biblical narrative of Jew and Gentile in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and know the difference. Can I tell you guys the difference? Okay. The Old Testament is not obsolete. The Old Covenant is now, that's what's, that's what's fading. God's relationship with Israel, the, the parameters that governed it, have now been fulfilled in Christ, and connection is now through Jesus. But the Testament, the Scriptures, what we read about in the, the Law and the Prophets is still very, very much applicable today. Amen? Yeah. You can find Jesus in it. He's yeah. everywhere in the Old Testament. Yeah. So you hear people, well, that's Old, that's old Testament. No, no, no. Yeah, praise God. The, the entire early church was preaching Jesus from the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. Yeah. All right. Okay, Hebrews 10. Um, we're going to start in verse 19. Yesterday I shared that the, that the gospel is a revelation of Jesus and not just any revelation of Jesus. I shared that it's particularly in order the revelation of Jesus as our Messiah, our high priest, and then our bridegroom. So there's a purpose to the order. Amen. God, when he first presents himself to humanity, he doesn't present himself first as a bridegroom judge with a bloody sword coming out of his mouth, robed in blood. That would be weird. Sinners would be terrified by that. So how does he present himself to a lost and dying world? He presents himself as a suffering lamb who unconditionally loves them in their mess. God is so awesome, isn't he? And so then... He, 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 he transitioned. He's forever the Messiah. So none of these aspects of Jesus' life and ministry is like, okay, now I'm not the Lamb of God anymore. No, 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 no. He, he possesses all of them all at once, at all times, and he's awesome, and we can't figure that out. Okay? But then he becomes a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I'm not going to preach Melchizedek, okay? But he, he was a guy that didn't have any genealogy. He wasn't... He had no lineage, okay? And so his priesthood was on the basis of an indestructible life, meaning Jesus' ministry now as a priest is going to continue forever. Why? Because he doesn't die. So the old priests, all the Levitical priests who were serving at the altar, they died and there had to be another priest in his place. Are you guys with me? Jesus will never die again, which means his priesthood is permanent. And as a priest, we're going to look at this tomorrow. Jesus, as a high priest, does all the cool, fun things. He baptizes us in the Holy Ghost. Awesome. Don't even be excited about that. Looking at me like, yeah, praise God, baptize me. What? God the Son dunks you in a river called God and you get saturated with God himself. And you're like, yeah, praise God. Golf clap. It's the shotgun blast of Christianity. You get filled with God. It's not some weird charismatic experience. It's the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And then Jesus has promised that he's returning as a bridegroom. And so I want to show you biblically, however, that that these three revelations are are the balanced Christian diet. That's how I said it yesterday. So unless you're feeding on all three, the Lamb of God, the priesthood and and the bridegroom, unless you're feeding and understanding and wrestling and and fellowshipping around Jesus in those three aspects, your growth will be stunted. 
And I'm going to tell you how that, what that means uh, today. But I want you to see this biblically. Hebrews 10, 19 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence. Say confidence. confidence. Say, I have confidence. I have confidence. See, the gospel makes you confident. The gospel doesn't make you, well, I just don't know where I'm at with God today. <laughs> I have confidence. My confidence is not in me. That's why it's so strong. Some of you, some people misinterpret me. They're like, oh, I don't know about that guy. He seems really sure of himself. No, 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 no. You're wrong. I'm sure of God. Oh, wow. I like my life being built on the rock. I don't trust myself. I trust God yeah. and His Word. Oh. We have confidence to enter the holy places. We, we were intended to have confidence that when you show up for a worship set or a quiet time or a prayer set or a devotional set, we don't wait for God to do anything. Do you know why? Because God sent his son. And our confidence biblically comes to enter into the holy places. What holy places? The true tabernacle in heaven. The very throne room of God. We get to enter into his presence by faith. How? Where does that confidence come from? Keep reading. The Bible's undefeated. The holy places by the blood of Jesus. So confidence to enter comes not because I feel like I'm worthy. Uh, Michael from Portland, from Oregon, he said, he said they didn't die. I want to speak to this. He said they didn't die. Their eyes open. The, 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 the wires there connected is they did die. And the death, true spiritual death is, is only seeing yourself. That is the definition of spiritual death. God didn't lie. And the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. They died spiritually. And the spiritual death looked like they now only saw themselves. That is the very definition of spiritual death. Is you can't see anything or anyone outside of you. That's death. That is hell on earth. Hell on earth is you can't see beyond yourself. The freest, happiest people in the world. The cheerful heart that has a continual feast, is so free of him or herself that they see people for who they are in God and they can just love them and celebrate them. And Why? Because I'm not living for me. We have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus. You and I will only ever enter into the presence of God by the blood. I don't care how clean you've been walking. I don't care how much you've been struggling. Entering into the presence of God comes by the blood. The Bible describes this as the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Who, I think Paul wrote this letter, what aspect of Jesus' life and ministry is he referring to when he's talking about blood and a flesh curtain being torn? When did that happen? When the Lamb of God died on the cross. So here he's initiating this revelatory exhortation and he's saying, number one, you have confidence to go into God's presence. How? Through the Lamb of God. That's the Lamb. You can write in your margin, the Lamb of God. That's the blood. That's the flesh. Now keep, keep reading. Same sentence. And since. So since we have confidence because of the Lamb. And since we have a great 
priest over the house of God. So now all of a sudden he's painting Jesus with a different brush. He said, here he is as the lamb that gives you confidence, but here he is as the great priest over the house of God. What's the house of God? We are the house of God. We are God's house. It says that in Hebrews 3. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So the priest, the revelation of the priest, you can enter into God's presence. You can be in and around God's presence and still receive nothing from God. Adam and Eve were in the presence of God in the garden and they were hiding. They withdrew. So they didn't enjoy the benefit of being in God's presence. The multitude surrounding Jesus, pressing in on him, trying to be healed. The only person that actually got something from him was the woman that touched him in faith. She drew close enough in her heart. She touched him and power came out. That tells me there were people in the physical presence of God and they weren't getting anything. Just being in the presence of God doesn't mean anything. God wants you. Okay, you're here. Great. This could be holy of holies per se. But now once you're here, he says, I want you to draw near. What gives you the confidence to draw near? The high priest. As most of us being Gentiles and even those who grew up Jewish, I don't know if you experienced or we have a grid for what a high, what a priest or a high priest really means or really does. There's, we don't really have a grid for that. Are you guys with me? And we'll talk at length about this tomorrow. But the benefit of having a priest is literally he represents, as high priest, he represents man to God and he represents God to man. In the one person, Jesus Christ. So do you see the priesthood here? You see the lamb and the priest? Do you see it? Yeah. Biblically? Okay. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Doesn't that sound nice? Wouldn't you like to have your heart forever sprinkled clean from an evil conscience? A guilty conscience? A defiled conscience? Wouldn't you like to wake up in the morning and like Andy was talking about that Psalm 139, Precious Thoughts, that it becomes so much more natural to hear the precious thoughts that God has about you than like, oh, I've got to just fight to have the God thoughts. No, no, no. When your heart gets sprinkled clean and you have a clear conscience, you go to bed, you're like, I'm loved by God. You wake up and you're like, I'm loved by God. It's going to be a good day. I used to say a, a lot. I wake up in revival every morning because I'm loved by God. That is revival. All right, 23. Watch this. We have, we've seen the lamb and we've seen the priest. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, out of the, the three revelations of Jesus, the lamb, the, the priest and the bridegroom, which one biblically do we hope for? There's a confession of hope that the Bible assumes that, that we as believers will have. What would it look like to confess your hope in the Lord's return amongst one another? See, most of us, I don't know if you grew up in a tradition where the Lord's return was really taught as like a scare tactic to get you into heaven. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Did anyone grow up that way? I didn't, but I've heard about it. And, and it's real. There's people that like, I, I just didn't really have a grid for the return of the Lord and how it had any bearing on my Christian life. For honest, I didn't, I didn't have a heart connection with the Lord's return. 
until I read scriptures like this that talked about a confession of hope. And that troubled me because I'm like, I don't know that I've ever confessed to anyone about my hope in the Lord's return. I can't, I can't think, I, at the time I couldn't think of a time. And I was like, man, I can think of times where I've confessed hope in Christmas. Oh, I can't wait for Christmas. It's going to be so fun. I can't wait for this vacation I'm about to go on. And yet, you know, I'm not a big eschatology guy, but my eschatology is this, that, that Jesus is coming. Yeah. And my hope, my excitement, my joy over the years of now pondering this is that, y'all, there is going to come a real day where a real man is going to split the sky. The Bible teaches this. And if you have the spirit of God, your spirit bears witness to this. This is why when we sing those, those hymns like we sang the other night, two nights ago, when we sing the hymns of the return of the Lord, something leaps inside of us because we instinctually know we were created to hope in that day. I'm not talking about escapism and well, let's just by and by wait for the Lord to come. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a legitimate heart connection and excitement. Why? For what? To see Jesus with your eyes and to be caught up, as it says in Thessalonians, with him in the clouds. And, and then it says this, and then we will be with him always. I'm excited about that. I am looking forward. And I want to tell you, I'm telling you right now. So when that day happens, we'll be, we'll, we'll be there together. Okay. I am going to shout, you know, that I can only imagine how, what will I do when I'm be, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be like Elf. If you've seen the movie Elf, and he's working, and he's working in the mall, and the and the man says, "Hey, um, guys, get ready, Santa's coming," and he's like, "Santa!" He's like, "I know him, I know him." On that day, I'm gonna be like Buddy the Elf, and I'm gonna be like, "Yes, I know him, I know you." I'll be looking at you. I'm gonna be looking at him like I told you. There he is. Come on. That's the heart posture. Your bridegroom. Your bridegroom. Can you imagine? Oh, I, I'm, do you see how I can't talk about it? Because it'll just pull me and it will take the whole day and we'll bypass the lamb. We'll do this on Thursday. The bridegroom, okay? There's a whole thing that comes with the bridegroom. It's amazing. Okay. So do you see this in Hebrews? Do you see this? There's the three. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised what? To come back is faithful. And let us consider in light of all of that. In light that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the great high priest. And he's a bridegroom judge. Let us. Look at this. Let us consider. Let us spend time and think about. In light of all of that. How can we stir up one another to love and good works? How can I have the spoon ministry? I want to stir you up and just stir your heart. That's what spoons do. They stir. You're like, spoon? Yes. I'm going to look. How do I stir my brothers and sisters up? In, in their own zeal and their own passion? No. I'm stirring them up in light of this glorious triune revelation of Jesus and everything that it means for us. 
to love and good works. This is the engine. This is the, the revelation of Jesus. Listen to me so carefully. As, as lamb, priest, and bridegroom, it is the V8 twin turbo engine to the, to, the, to the loving and to the momentum of your Christian life. If you lose sight of that and you get busy in your doing, in your ministry, and you, even in your worship, and you get so busy doing that you forget who he is and what he's done, you're, you're, you'll run out of gas. You'll run out of gas. Not neglecting to meet together. This is a team sport. The Bible says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Be careful. This is a fatherly warning to you right now in this moment, this week, this time. You're one week in. You've had enough time to get offended with people. Be careful. I get, I get, you know, Andy said it beautifully this morning about gossip. We, we can dress gossip up as all kind of spiritual things as we're venting, you know, I'm just, I need to process something with you. Be careful. If someone comes to you and says, I need to process something with you and they start talking about someone else, you need to just say, Hey, you need to pause and you need to go process with them. Is this okay? Yeah. Is that if I say something out of line that's different than what you guys say, feel free to like rebuke me publicly. Because if I say it publicly and it's again, I'm submitted, really am. But but from as a father, I'm I'm I, that's how I would recommend biblically you handle. Don't don't process offense about someone with that person not there. That is gossip. Number one, that literally is gossip. It doesn't. You're like, well, but how do I work? Who do I process with? You can come to a leader, maybe, yeah. but I would probably first recommend you go to the person and just say, hey, and process with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do so humbly. In the same breath, you've, you've now had a long enough time. We also dress up isolating ourselves in the name of, well, I just need a little bit of time. And I understand taking time. Trust me. I, I'm, you've been married in any amount of time. You sometimes need to take some time. And that's healthy. And that's good. But just be mindful. And only you know by the Holy Spirit. If you isolate yourself. Just because you're in this crowd doesn't mean you can't isolate yourself. They can prophesy. Or they can tell you from stories of people pulling away. And they just get out of the pack. There is power. Just because you're sitting in, this, in the chair doesn't mean you're here with your heart. You can be in this chair and your heart can be far. And I want to just, I want to encourage you. The sooner you can understand that God brought you here and he knew who would surround you. And the thing that bothered you, maybe he's trying to get to a deeper issue in your heart. Maybe it's not about that. Maybe you have a pattern of isolating yourself when things get hard. But the Bible says, and it's really dangerous in this environment when you isolate. Why? Because you have so much revelation that you start you start justifying doing something unbiblical in the name of spiritual things. Very dangerous. And I don't know why I feel the, uh, the father just like really encouraging me to like press into that. So if that's you, the simple way to repent is just to, is just to go, God, I'm going to keep my heart here. I'm going to keep it here. Keep it soft. Keep it humble. It's very easy to get lost in a crowd this big. And to get offended. And, and you don't want that because there's treasure for you. There's 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 life for you here. Okay? So not neglecting 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day draw near. Have you ever viewed encouraging one another in light of the Lord's return? He's saying, take to heart that Jesus is coming back. The days are short. And actually that gives you the motivation to encourage one another. Does this make sense? Yeah. All right. Ephesians chapter one. So we're going to dive deeper into Jesus's ministry um, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's just hop in. Ephesians one, starting in verse seven. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Okay, so when I read this in my Bible, I begin to connect. Okay, he's talking about the Lamb of God, all right, because we're talking about blood. So in him, we have redemption. Now, when the Bible, we, when the Bible tells us we have something, you have to, like, spend a little time thinking about it. Redemption is awesome. So the reason why I think many of us don't live more cheerful, more glad, more excited about the gospel is because we haven't fully understood how many amazing things come to us through Jesus. Like we're like, like I said, we distilled the gospel down into, well, Jesus died on a cross, went into a grave, rose again on the third day, and you get to go to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. You go to heaven when you die. And you're like, that feels really good in a moment. And, it, and it's so true and it's so right. Yet there's so much more to, to unearth and discover in Jesus's, what he accomplished for us. Are you with me? There's so much grace that flows from him. And it's the grace that makes you happy. It's the grace that makes you feel that feeling. Y'all remember the joy of your salvation? Can y'all remember that? Can anyone remember the joy of your salvation? Show me with your face that you remember the joy of your salvation. Y'all remember what Andy said? No, I want you to, for real, just remember the moment you were saved by God. Let yourself like go there again. And then show me by your countenance that you're, that you're remembering that moment. That was nice, right? Tell your face it was nice. If his salvation doesn't make you glad, something's wrong. I'm not being harsh. I'm not being harsh. It's so important. David said it, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We have redemption. Redemption to redeem something means it had to first belong somewhere and then it got bought back. So in that word redemption, it means that you actually belong to God in the beginning. And so he saw that you had been taken ransom by sin. You'd been blinded by Satan. And you were now, before you came to know God, rather to be known by God, he, he purchased you blood. Blood was a currency that he used to redeem you, to buy you out of sin and death. You owe death because of sin. And he says, I'm going to transact. It was more than a transaction, but it was a transaction. And so he made payment with his blood for your life. This is why Paul says in Corinthians, he goes, listen, you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. I like not being my own. So we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. You guys are waiting for the revelation. 
and the cold water is before you and the warm bread is before you. If you're having a bad day, remember your sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, the Bible says. You know what that word blessed means? Happy. See, this is the issue. If we think that we are like many of us, I can feel in the room, you feel like I know that already. Oh, I know my sins are forgiven. No, it's not to be known. It's to make you happy. Let's go. And if it's not making you happy, you don't know it. I don't, let me, let me, this is how I go from my head to my heart. I think about what I would have to do if I had to somehow make payment for my own sins. I don't know about you. I'm glad that I don't have to pay for my sins. I'm glad I don't have to live in the torment of living for myself. I'm so glad I'm not a slave to my fleshly desires. I am so happy that I don't have to do what if, if there's ever a carnal desire in my life. I'm not a I'm not a debtor to my flesh. That's right. I really like that. Yes. My flesh is jacked up. That's why he nailed it to a tree. And I'm thankful that I have permission to live and walk as a son of God by the Spirit. I like having my sin forgiven. Don't you? So we have two things in him so far. If you're writing this down, you can do a little like you can flow this out. This gets, this gets worse in the best way. <laughs> we have two things, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, God, how did you give us redemption and forgiveness? It says, according to the riches of his grace. See, God gives according to the riches of his grace. God is rich in grace. God is rich in grace. Amen. Now, if you don't, again, with grace, if, if the word grace doesn't mean anything to you, I'm going to help you this week. The grace of God, the grace of God is everything. Jesus was full of grace and truth. The grace of God biblically is the power of God. And it's like a coin. Think about the grace of God as a coin with two sides. Okay. You guys ever seen uh, Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines? Okay, let me help you here. So. There's two sides. What makes that show so cool is you've got Chip who comes in on demo day and he takes this nasty looking house and he just starts destroying the nastiness. Grace does that. Grace is like Chip Gaines that God sends the Chip Gaines of heaven. Watch this into your life through Jesus. And he begins to take a sledgehammer. Grace does this. See, you don't do this. Grace does this. You're the you were the nasty house that was filled with all the nastiness and your plumbing was all out of whack and you were all jacked up. And so God, through Jesus, sends grace, the power, the will, the zeal of God into your house with a sledgehammer. And he's like, let's go to work. All the sin, all the nastiness, all the generational, all the addiction, all the pain, all the self-consciousness. I am taking a sledgehammer to it. That's what grace does. Yes, I like that. Grace, come on in. Come on in, Grace. Just look at your belly. Say, come on in, Grace. The grace of God is so powerful. It's the power of God to save you. 
all the grace of God. It's all grace. It's all grace. You can't save yourself. Oh, it's grace. Some of you, I can see, I can see your flesh is squirming right now. You're like, ugh. You, you, for a long time, believed you could do it. You thought your salvation was connected to anything that you did. Well, if I read my Bible, if I pray more, if I have more quiet time, if I have more accountability, zero. You're not saved in all of this. You're saved biblically by grace through faith. The problem for many of us is that we weren't given permission to have a big, strong faith. We were preached the gospel once. We preached a little sliver of the gospel. And so we had that measure of faith. Because faith is only ever in Jesus. So if I only preach a sliver of Jesus' life and work as the Lamb of God, if I just preach a sliver of that, guess what happens? You only have a sliver of faith. And then biblically, you only have a sliver of grace. Now what happens when you begin to preach a grand, big, majestic, beautiful gospel from beginning, past, present, and future that you can fix your eyes and continually from faith to faith. The Bible says this in Romans 1, 16 to 17. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's a funny statement, Paul. I never understood why he said that until God called me to preach the gospel to Christians. Because Christians look at you and they're like, I know the gospel. Why do you think Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Because he didn't have another message. He'd show up at the church like, What's, hey, what are you going to preach? Pre-service prayer. Paul's like, I'm uh, going to preach the gospel again. They're like, again? Paul, you preached it for two years from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. daily in the Hall of Tyrannus. You're sure you're going to listen? Maybe mix it up. Let's preach on like tithing or no, no, I'm going to preach the gospel. Do you know why he preached the gospel? Do you know why he didn't deviate? He says, I'm not ashamed because it is the power of God. The gospel is power of God. I'm just reading the Bible. Romans 1, 16 and 17. You're like, I want the power of God. Then you want the gospel. You don't get the power of God outside the gospel. If you do, it's man-made, manufactured. It's nothing. He says, it's the power of God unto salvation. So God's power always has a purpose. I'm coming back to grace. I didn't forget about the other side. Y'all are... He says, it's to save you. God's power is to save you. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For in it, what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, to faith, to faith. So what's the, what's the, what's the ingredient there? The ingredient is we have a big gospel that we showed you in Galatians 1 was a continuous revelation of Jesus. So as we continually behold Jesus, this revelation, we all of a sudden get opportunity to put our faith in the man. And every time, every day, like every single day, I seek to, to again put my faith in what I know to be true of Jesus. Who he is, what he did, why he did it. If you want to know, like, if you want to study this and you, some of you are Bible, like you're like, I'm a Bible student, I'm a student of the Bible. Study in the word of God. Ask yourself these four questions about the lamb, the priest, and the bridegroom. Who is he? What did he do? Why did he do it? And how does it impact me? 
if you ask those four questions about those, those three aspects of Jesus' life and ministry, you're going to do really well. That right there, literally, that is worth my week. That, those, those three aspects of Jesus, those four questions, who is Jesus, what did he do? This is the secret one. Why did he do it? And how does it impact me? And the Bible, you'll find that the New Testament and the Old Testament, the entire book answers those four questions. It's the central theme, the entire, every letter. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So here's what happens. This is like a word. We're getting into the mechanics here. I'm training you. So if I only have a little gospel, I have a little faith, a little grace, a little salvation, a little righteousness. However, what I'm presenting to you this week is that the gospel is big. So what's happening right now is you're being stretched. And if, if you can, in these environments, there's opportunity to believe and say, yes, I believe in Jesus in that way. No different than when you got born again the first time. There's opportunities in these moments to lay hold by faith in your heart to go, yes, God, I believe that you love me. And when you, when you say yes to that, the grace of God comes and it begins to do a work inside of you that you can't do on your own. And it's simply that the, the, the catalyst is Jesus. So grace, grace will destroy your sin, but grace also, grace also is like Joanna Gaines. She's on her computer looking at your life and she's, she's studying and she's like, ooh. You know what? No, we're going to take out that window. Oh, that's no good. We're going to add an addition here. And she's, she's, she's expertly, beautifully crafting your insides to look like Jesus. Wow. And then Grace hires all of these workers. I, I, I hope someone just believes me. This is me. Grace hires all of these workers. To come into your house through Jesus, because of Jesus, because of what he's done, and begins to fashion you, and to remake you, to transform you into his image. And you look up five years from now, and it's not because you sweat, look what I did. No, no, no. I'm a product of grace. I'm a product of grace. Everything I have standing before you is because of the grace of God. Everything. Like, how did, how did you, grace, grace, grace. God is rich in grace. He's rich in grace. Verse eight, he lavished upon us. So he takes grace. He's so rich. And he doesn't just give us a little bit. He lavishes us with it. God is lavish. God is a lavish God. I want to tell you, God is lavish. He's lavish with his affection. Every part of him is lavish. I find that many of us struggle to believe that. And so we struggle to experience God in many ways because we think God is withholding. If we're honest, we believe God is withholding from us a lot of the time. We're not expecting. When we show up, 
here and different places, we're not fully expecting that today I'm going to, I'm going to actually taste something of God. that's going to change my life. God is lavish. I said it yesterday. There's an abundance of bread. I don't know what you particularly need this morning, this afternoon. I don't know what it is you need, but God does. And whatever it is that you need will be experienced through his grace. And he wants to lavish you with it this morning. How many of you, when you think of lavishness, you think like if someone, you've ever been to like a wedding and they spend like, you know, like $200,000 wedding or some crazy deal. How many of you walked at me and, and think, you know what? That was wisdom. <laughs> how many of you see extravagance and you're like, that's super wise. But the Bible says that he lavished us according to the riches of his grace in all wisdom and insight. Whoa. See, God's wisdom is manifest by lavished, seemingly abundance and wastefulness. In all wisdom and insight. Now, here's the kicker. Verse 9. Do you realize that all that I just shared with you was not the message? All of that, the redemption, forgiveness of sins, riches of grace, lavishness, insight. The Bible says in verse 9, all of that was to make known to us the mystery of his will. Wow. What does that mean? It means that God chose to redeem us by the blood, forgive our sins, send his son, do all this extravagant thing. Because there was a message in his heart that we didn't know. And he wanted to make known to us. And the only way God could make known to humanity this deep, deep mystery of his will, of his desire. When you read will, don't think, robot, well, the will of God is the will of God. No, this is the <laughs> deepest desire. This is his will. He's like, I will. You know, when they use people, two people stand to get married, like, I will. I do. That's I will. That's the will of God. He says, I gave you my son. I did all of that because I wanted to make known to you something that's been a mystery ever since the garden. Yep. Yep. What's that mystery? Yep. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Here it is. This is the deepest cry in the heart of God to unite all things in him. Wow. God wants union. He wants union. He's not happy living in a wooden box. Come on. He's not happy just being among us. He wants to be inside of you. You. God wants that. God wants proximity with us more than we want proximity with him. And biblically, we just saw he wants it so bad that he, he devised a plan in Christ. Sending his son to die on a cross. To make known to us this mystery. This means that there's a message in the Lamb of God that we need to pay attention to. I want to pray. Just seal this. Father, we confess that this deep place in your heart can sometimes feel unattainable. But we, we see in your word, we hear your voice. I pray, Father, that 
God, that you would allow us to experience your longing and your desire for us, for you. God, we're aware this morning that you want to be close, so close that there's, there literally is union. There's oneness between us. We thank you that in your son you've made that possible. We thank you that sin no longer separates us because of Jesus. We're so grateful, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your truth. Lord, we submit our minds to you. We submit that which we don't understand, Lord. And we just, we ask that you give us the ability to, to enjoy you. To enjoy the fact that we have a loving Father who wants us. Right now, God, I pray that, that we would feel wanted by God. We would feel wanted. We would feel pursued. We would feel sought after. We would ponder the, the weight and the intensity with which you pursued us in your son. I pray that you would crush unbelief and doubt. You would author fresh faith in this place, God. I pray that you would unify us in this gospel message. That you would unify us this week, Lord. This day, I pray for, for a unity that we haven't known. That there would feel a sense of togetherness, God. And I pray this group, this company, Lord, we agree. We want to be together in you. We don't want to be separate. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to do our own thing. And well, but I, you know, my mama said this, but we want you. And so, Lord, we submit what we know, what we think we know, Lord, to the beauty, to the power, to the strength of your glorious gospel, of your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's take a five minute break. Go back. Uh, go to Romans chapter six. So I'm, I'm, what we're doing is we're building. So if you can stay with me and with us, with the spirit of God, we'll, we'll, we'll build line upon line, truth upon truth. So there's a reason we're kind of like laying all of this stuff. Okay. Um, so, so God wants union, and the problem is, um, before Jesus came, he could not have union, because we, we studied yesterday how the fall of man created separation. Man induced separation, and it, it got corrupted, and everything went haywire. And so, if God is love, and he created us as the objects of his affection, have you ever loved someone and yet they pulled themselves away from you? Yeah. Have you ever felt the torment of that? Yeah. So is it right now for this girl in the front? <laughs> She's like, yes. Uh -oh. Bless you. Um, but that pain, have you all experienced that? Like someone that you love and yet you can't be with them and there's a distance. Whatever you think you felt, whatever pain that caused, imagine love himself. Whoa. Whoa. Love himself, looking at humanity, going, I want to be close, but if I get as close to them as I want to be, my holiness and purity will consume them. Whoa. This is 2 Samuel chapter 6, when they're bringing the ark back to the city of David. 
And David doesn't study the Levitical law on how to carry the ark. And so he puts it on a, on a cart with oxen, which was not right. They were, the, the Levites were supposed to carry it on poles. There was a specific prescription on how God wanted them to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you guys know the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box overlaid with gold, very ornate. And God lived in that box, and he was with Israel. Do y'all know that in your Bible? Yes. Did, 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 did we know this? Yes or no? If not, we have to, we have to teach this. God lived on earth in a wooden box. It's in your Bible. <laughs> so they're carrying this box. The oxen kind of like gives a little wobble. His you know hip was going out, and and the box that God was in is going to spill out. It's going to tip over. And this guy named Uzzah, who was there to man, you know, hey guys, just follow the oxen. Make sure God doesn't spill out of the box. <laughs> It'll be bad. <laughs> He puts his hand out to stabilize the ark. He touches the ark, and Uzzah dies. Bang. Dead. Did God kill Uzzah? If I throw a piece of wood into the fire, does the fire kill the wood? Yeah. Does fire kill wood? It burns it because the nature of fire interacting with the nature of wood, the nature of wood cannot remain in the presence of fire. Fire doesn't have a will. Fire doesn't look at wood and go, I hate you, I'm going to kill you. God's nature came in contact with man's nature, and man's nature was consumed, bang, in a moment by God's nature. Why? Because man's nature had become base. He had become sinful. And the blood of those days, how many of you know there was forgiveness of sins before Jesus? You could kill in the Old Testament a blood of a bull or a goat. And that's, that blood would offer temporary forgiveness for what Israel had done. And yet the blood of bulls and goats, the Bible says, could never take away sin. So here Uzzah touches the ark and he dies. Okay? So God had a problem. God's like, I want to be close, but if I get as close as I want to be, they're going to die. So then, what's the real problem? The problem is, what is it in the heart of man that's making it, that's standing in the way of love and his desire to be one? Sin. So God goes, I got it. I'm going to send my son. He's going to put on a man's suit. He's going to walk the earth. He's going to show people what I'm like. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And when Jesus said, follow me, where did he end up? On the cross. Okay, so this is where we come to Romans 6. The simplest way we can summarize Jesus's work on the cross was he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. Now, 
Mm -hmm. My prayer through Romans 6 is that this truth that you know comes alive to you. Romans 6, verse 1. I so badly wish I had time to preach Romans 5. Because Romans 6 starts with, what shall we say then? It's like jumping into a conversation. I told you we didn't have time. Can you imagine if I did Romans 5 and then Romans 6? I would do it. But preschool's coming. We don't have time. What shall we say? So, so, so Romans, let me just summarize it. Romans 1 through 5, he's culminating, he's preaching grace in Romans 5. Unadulterated grace. That's what he's doing in 5. He's like, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. The right response, if you're accurately preaching grace and living grace, the right response, not the right response, but a common response from the flesh is, from the flesh, from the carnal mind is, okay, I hear you preaching grace. So you're saying then, you're saying then, should I continue in sin so that grace can abound? If the truth is, the more that sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's what the Bible says. As sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. Come on. <laughs> so he's saying, oh, okay. So he's now meeting them with the argument that he heard a lot. Yeah. Okay, Paul, I hear you. I hear you saying it's all grace. And you're saying that, that anywhere sin is, is popping up, grace is over and above it. So are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Why? How can we who died to sin still live in it? The reason why the Christian life can be graced from beginning to end is because we've died to sin. Keep reading. This gets worse. Do you not know? Do you not know? Again, he's appealing to what you know. See, if you don't know this, the Bible is full of this. He's saying, do you know how many times Paul said to the church, don't you know? He was confused by something that he saw or perceived. He goes, don't you know? And then he would speak the truth. Don't you know? Why are you engaging in sexual morality? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? How could you possibly join yourself to someone in, in sexual intimacy that you're not married to? Don't you know that your actual mortal body is a temple of God? (laughs) This would destroy the body image thing forever. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I want, you know, everyone's like, we want to have a nice physique, whatever. That's fine. But I'm like, at the end of the day, do you know why I like my body? Because God likes it. God saw this as like prime real estate. I am, this is biblical. God lives in my mortal body. If y'all, if we ever get bored in church, God lives in here. Just ponder that for a minute. How does God live in here? If Uzzah dies when he touches the ark, how clean must you be? 
How clean must the blood have made you for God to live in you and you and I don't just fall over and die? So keep reading. I'm reading the Bible. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Wow. Dang. So do you see the union? See, we love union because it's warm and fuzzy. But when you choose to follow Jesus and to have union with him, it starts with the cross. He's saying, before you get to union with me in my glory, you have to union with me at my cross and in my grave. You were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order, there was a reason that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the sameness of life. No, in the newness of life. Do you see Jesus dying on a cross, buried and resurrected, was intended to, he was inviting us into that process by faith. He's saying, hey, it wasn't just my cross. You have permission, according to the Bible, to be crucified. What's crucified? Everything nasty. Everything of sin, everything you don't like, everything that's causing you death, you have permission to be crucified with him. I want to go so far as to say you cannot find freedom from sin apart from by faith believing that your sin was crucified. Help me. The moment we try to deal with sin apart from the cross, we dishonor what he did on the cross. Whatever sin habit, any ministry that promises freedom to you from sin, that doesn't point you and help you connect and have faith that your sin was crucified on the cross. Be careful. Because how, if my freedom comes from things that I do, well, let me do these things to get freedom. That's, that's not the cross. Can I do these things to help me see the cross? Yes. That's okay. Can I do, can I do prayers? Can I do different Bible study and, and prayer sessions to help me see and actually believe in the cross? If there's some blockages happening in my heart because I'm, Having trouble with unbelief? Yes. But if it doesn't point you to and cause you to touch the cross by faith, to believe once and for all that you don't have to be a slave to your old man. You, you, when, when you confessed your faith in Jesus, you were also saying, God, I'm, I don't just believe you died for me, but you died as me. And I'm willing to go into that journey with you, which means you can't save my depression anymore. You can't save my anxiety anymore. It's not yours. Well, just my, I'm just, it's my anxiety. What? I thought you died to that. 
My anxiety comes because I am thinking about me. It's, it, it, is a, it is an epidemic in the body of Christ, anxiety, depression. It's an epidemic. And, I, and, and people talk about all kinds of things. And again, I'm not being insensitive. I'm saying the gospel provides good news for you to come up out of that. But the path forward, I want to I break off this thing. It's by faith. You have to believe in Jesus. See, we get real narrow. Like if I were to stand here and go, hey, can I get born again by some other way than Jesus? Is that possible? No. Are you sure? I, what if someone came and like, hey, I, I want to I wanna be born again. Like, what do I do? How do I get born again? Like, can I, if I do this stuff, like, you guys would preach back to me and say, no, there's only one way to be born again. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it that we're narrow with born again, but we're really, really wide with sanctification? Yeah. We're like, we're very narrow. Well, you can't come into the kingdom of God except through this one narrow passage. But then once you get in, just kind of do whatever you feel is right for you. That's not how it works. Sanctification and freedom is narrow. Jesus said the path is narrow that leads to life. Do you know what the narrow path is? It's the cross. It is so offensive. And even in our culture today, even in our Christian culture, there are spiritual, um, there, there are spiritual prescriptions void of the cross that try to promise you freedom. Don't go there. Come on. If, if it's a spiritual activity like prayer or Bible study or accountability or a class that does not focus on the work of Jesus, if it's a promising freedom and it doesn't give you permission to go, I have faith that 2,000 years ago I died with Christ. Be careful. At the end of any true freedom ministry, you should be able to say with confidence and with integrity, I have been crucified with Christ. Yeah. That statement tells you I'm free. Yeah. I'm not hoping that's free. I'm telling you, I've been crucified with Christ. Yeah. I really have. I know there's stuff like, like I can say that with integrity, knowing that there's still things. If I feel an ounce of my flesh coming up, that confession in the areas of victory and breakthrough that I have, it, I'm hemmed in by that confession. I don't have the right anymore to live by my flesh and what I, you know, well, this is just my, no, no, no. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul said this. He says, I have been crucified. Jesus's cross became his own. Listen to me, guys. By the end of this week, I want you to be able to say it. And it may be the most baby step of faith, but whatever the thing you're facing, I want you to be able to say I don't just, I don't want to just go to heaven when I die. I want heaven to get back into me. And I want to be able to say with integrity, I have been crucified with Christ. You have permission to consider yourself dead to your old man. Why? why, And and let me ask us this. Why would we fight so hard to keep an identity that's not bringing us life? I see people defending. They they defend their brokenness. When God wants to exchange it for his newness of life. This is the promise. Newness of life. Means you can live life in a new way. You don't have to live life the old way. And and if it's new, I want to tell you, I understand that it's unfamiliar. It may be scary for some of you. 
And I, I appreciate that what I'm saying, I know there's objections in this room. I know it. And, I'm, and, I, and I'll speak to some of them, and I want to tell you, I'm not afraid of the objections, or you shouldn't be afraid of the objections either. Because the objections that you're having that pop up, again, just you can close your eyes and raise your hand if you want. Acknowledge, like, some of you have, like, objections. You're like, but what about stay there and wrestle with it? Because the but what about reveals a belief, something that you're holding that, that's making it difficult for you to believe the truth. For if, verse 5, we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, if, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That is not on the last day. It includes the last day, but it's also a promise of newness of life today. Can you imagine united with Jesus' resurrection? I'm encouraging you to imagine it. That's what that was. We were like, uh, no. So imagine it. Imagine, imagine yourself with Jesus nailed on the cross, and he deals with all of your sin in a moment. And that's beautiful. And the, the, the deal with the cross is it's very public. It's very, it's almost kind of shameful. It's almost like, oh, there's my sin, my nastiness. There's a, there's a humility, a repentance, a fear of the Lord. Right? When you see the, 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 your sin on the cross and there's like a, ah. Oh. And yet the beauty of the progression of the gospel is he takes, he takes your sin, he takes sinful man, and he buries him. Three days in a grave. And, and, he, and he intended for you to stay in that grave all, everything, you can put names on it, all of your sin in the grave. And when Jesus breathed to life again, and the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, the glory of the Father raised him from the dead, he says, you also by faith have permission. Can you imagine Jesus' victory and triumph coming out of that grave? Can you imagine the twinkle in his eyes, keys dangling on his side to death and Hades that he just took back, that had been lost, that had been forsaken? And this man was never going to die again. Forever alive. Jesus is alive. This is what makes Christianity different than every other religion, is our God is alive. Yes. That's the distinction. Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, we're alive. So if we're grumpy, if we're grumpy, we're not united with the resurrected Jesus. We're not conscious of that. We're not having, we don't have a living faith in that. We don't, what I'm speaking to you has so much application for your daily life, for your relationship, for how you show up and work, for how you approach missions, for how you approach anything you want to do in life. This is the promise of new life. But you have to believe that it's possible to be joined. Again, you don't have to be. The pressure is not on you. He stacked this thing so much in our favor. Yeah. It's so unfair. You're telling me, Peter, all I have to do to be free from my sins is just believe that I died on a cross? 
No, Romans 6 is telling you that. Well, I've been struggling with this for, okay, but there's a cross. But you don't know what I went through. No, 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 no. You don't know what he went through. No, I am, this is people, you don't know what, no, no, no. I, I, I don't need to know what you went through. And I'm, I will never minimize your pain. I won't minimize the trauma. However, I will never exalt your pain and trauma over Jesus' crucifixion. I won't do it. I won't do it. I can't do it. He wouldn't do it. He doesn't. He, he took it. Can you imagine the injustice? You have never faced an injustice like the one Jesus faced. Wow. You've never. I'm not. Again, it doesn't negate. I have experienced tremendous pain. Injustice. My little brother died of cancer when I was four years old. He was two. Um, I, I have, there have been real, I'm not like standing up here talking from not having experienced tremendous pain and trauma. But there's life in what I'm telling you. There's life in it. There's freedom in it. We have to be willing to walk the narrow path. He says, look. It says, we know that our old self, it says, we know. What would it be like to wake up every day and to know that your old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin? I'm going to keep reading. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Your Bible says that. I want you to hear me. You're hearing me say it, but look at your Bible. Your Bible, you have to deal with this verse. The people who say we're going to be stuck in sin the rest of our lives have to deal with this verse. For one, I, I don't know, I'm a Bible guy. For one who has died, has been, has been, has been, has been set free from sin. Thank you. How? Why are we still wrestling? Like Jesus said, have faith in God. What, what's harder to believe? That God would send his son and do all of this? Do we actually believe that God doesn't have the power to save me from sin? Could, is that possible? That I could be crucified with Christ, buried with him, resurrected with him to newness of life, and yet still somehow be a slave to sin? That, that doesn't make sense. But we've been trained to think that freedom is arrogance. Wow. No, freedom is humility. Putting on the robe of righteousness is true humility. If I think if if I think that like I'm trash, that's pride. Yeah. Whoa. Well, I'm just no, I'm just not I no, it's just not it's not about that. It's not that's pride. Masked in something called false humility. False humility is pride. Do you know what that means? It means that what I think about me is more right than what God thinks about me. So we have to repent. 
if we've been in false humility, we have to repent. God declared. See, the, the Bible says the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the blood that, that Muami was preaching about, it actually has a voice. The blood has a voice. And it speaks over you identity. It speaks over you love. It speaks over you value. And so for you to, to reject that is to have pride and go, you know what? No, you know what, God? I'm actually going to believe that what I feel and think about me is bigger than what your blood says of me. That's pride. Hey, God, I, I actually think that um, this thing that I've struggled with for 10 years, I, I just think it's too big for your blood. Wow. That, that is what we're saying when we don't receive freedom when it's promised. Yeah. Just be honest. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, I'm a temple of the living God and I'm a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. That's double-minded. Yeah. You can't have it both ways. <clears throat> You can't say I've been born of God and I'm a sinner. Yeah. Do you see how they, those go against each other? Yeah. Are you guys with me? Yeah. So, so if you keep reading. Now, if, and again, I love that he says this. He says if. He, he's, he's actually acknowledging that some people, they don't have faith. <clears throat> if. Don't you know? He says, if we've died with Christ. If that's a reality to you, then the next promise is true. But if it's not, if Jesus just died on a cross, if the Father and the Son made a transaction 2,000 years ago and flipped you a token called eternal life, this will mean nothing to you. Many people believe that. They're like, oh, God and the Father and the Son made a transaction. And here you go. If you put your faith in that little package, I'll give you a little token called eternal life. And you just do your best. It's so much more intimate than that. He says, if we have, uh, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death. He died. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. This is the nail in the coffin. Biblically, you are commanded to view yourself, to consider yourself dead to sin. So I can't say my and then fill in the blank and also be considering myself dead to sin. So he's actually teaching us to divorce ourselves from our sinful nature through what Jesus did on the cross. And not only are we divorcing ourselves from our sinful nature, we're embracing our new nature in him. So he says this, he says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Whoa, 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 whoa. Paul, if you, if you conclude this thought, he's saying, someone comes here and says, hey, you know what? I'm struggling with lust and pornography. He's saying, stop letting that sin reign in your mortal body. That's the biblical prescription. And some, of, some of us would get all hot and bothered. Whoa, whoa, you can't tell me to stop that. That's what he says. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? Because he's assuming that you consider yourself dead to it. Do not present your members to, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from life to death, death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Watch this. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. No dominion. 
can we, yeah. can we please, guys, begin to imagine a Christian life not dominated by sin? Yes. Yes. How do we do it? It's a two-step process. You guys ready? It's a two-step. We just read it. Romans 6.11. This is how you walk in the Spirit. Are you guys ready? Yes. You consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. So what does this look like? I don't trust anything that's not a two-step process because that's how you walk. Two steps. Left foot and a right foot. Anything that's more than two steps freaks me out. Two steps. What does it look like? So practically, how do you take this teaching and apply it to these areas in your life? Father, thank you that I'm not a prideful person. Father, I'm dead to that. I am dead. I am dead to thinking that what I think is more right than what you think, God. And Lord, I'm alive to you in the humility. I'm alive to you in Jesus to receive what you say about me. I thank you, Lord, that that is not who I am. I am not a prideful person. That person was crucified 2,000 years ago. Lord, I am alive to depending upon you for my every waking thought. I submit my mind to you, God. And all of a sudden, practically, you're transacting with heaven based on Romans 6, 11. And when you do that, you consider yourself dead to sin. The Holy Ghost will testify. And all of a sudden, all of heaven goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you hear that? They are now walking. And this, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is worship. This is how you confess that you actually believe Jesus. Consider yourself. That is worship. Can you, can you, it moves the heart of God when we do this. He's like, they believe me. They believe that I did it. So I want to pray a blessing over you guys. Just to simply have faith in God. Don't overthink it. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I bless your sons and daughters to have faith in your son, Jesus. God, help them with that which they don't understand. Give them grace in the wrestle. Let them be patient with themselves. And let them surrender to your love. Lord, we trust you with the outcome. We trust you, God, with the outcome. We trust you with the fruit that we want to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.